Well, we're going to take a little time this evening to seek to look at uh, what I suppose is a very obvious mark of grace, and that is that those who know and love the Lord are, as the Saviour put it, blessed, yet they are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I want us to look at the mark of grace that is persecution. It is a a most difficult one to think upon because when it comes your way, rather than filling your soul with joy, as you note an evident mark of gospel grace in your life, you sigh, your shoulders droop, you maybe your eyes are cast down and you think, oh, not again. I can't bear any more. And yet, when the enemy raises up his standard against you and sets himself in opposition to you, much as he may hate the fact, he is actually marking you out as a child of God. Because blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For this is the way they persecuted the prophets. That's the way they treated the godliest of men in the previous generations. Last week, on this very evening, a week ago, I was in my former congregation in Scalpy. We were looking at what might be the flip side of this as the mark of grace. We were looking at the good report, which is true of those who know and love the Lord. Even those who do not love the Lord will say often that they may not like the person, but they see things in them which say, well, they're a Christian, they're a real Christian. And it's good to encourage ourselves with those things. But sometimes we need to look at the other side, which is even when they don't speak nicely about you, even when they try to find every excuse they can to run at you and to vilify you and to make you the butt of their jokes and their taunting, whether they like it or not, they are evidencing that you're on the opposite side from them that you're not wearing the same colours as they are you are on the side of King Jesus and as such they are acknowledging what you and I should acknowledge in such times that persecution is a badge of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now it shouldn't surprise us that that's the case. After all, we are following the, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it says that he was uh, dealt with with regards to those who saw him even before we were converted, what did we do with regards to our Saviour? Well, we often spoke very harshly about him. 
And with regards to those who are Christians, we often said things about them that perhaps now we would be embarrassed about. Maybe more than a little sheepish. If someone were able to play a tape recording of the way we spoke about ministers or elders or members in the church of Jesus Christ before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, maybe we were just as vociferous in our opposition. We're told here that persecution, amongst other things, it involves this, that we are reviled. You remember our Saviour upon the cross? We're told that those who went past said, Let the King of Israel, let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. So those who were walking by, they mocked him. And those who were in the same condemnation, but justly, they reviled him. You know, my friend, it is a sad and sorry fact that even those who know they are guilty of the most vile and heinous of things will often throw mud at those they know to be better than themselves. It's absolute hypocrisy. But they'll do it anyway. And if you are vilified wrongfully, for being a follower of Jesus Christ, it'll hurt. It will cut you to the very quick. And it is not in the slightest bit pleasant. But it is a mark of following in the footsteps of Christ. For he was mocked and reviled even at that most difficult of times. We were singing earlier in Psalm 69 and in verse 9, they are prophesying of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. So Spurgeon said, the great mediator was in this respect a substitute for God as well as for man. He bore the reproaches aimed at the one as well as the sins committed by the other. You see, there was a sense in which the reproaches that were being sent were the ones that would be hurled at God himself, that were falling upon our Saviour. And when you come to the table of the Lord, my friend, in a few days remember this, that God is often the subject of some of the most vile and wicked and heinous of accusations and mockery and vilification. If that's the way the master went, should not the servant tread it too? Should we be surprised if we would follow him? If we find that we receive similar treatment from the one who went before us. You remember in the parallel in the gospel according to Luke chapter 6 and verse 22. Blessed are ye 
when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Jesus was foretelling what would happen to those who were loyal to him. They would be hated, separated from, reproached and cast out even the very name of them as evil just because you love Jesus. What a thought. The name of Jesus may sound sweet to a believer's ear. But my friend, it's a curse word in the ears of most in our day and generation. And sadly, the most godly and gracious of Christians will often find that for the good they do, they will often be evil spoken against. And they will find themselves feeling hated of all men, not because they had done some wicked and evil thing. After all, you remember Peter, and Peter makes it quite clear that, you know, sometimes even good Christians can do things that are wrong. And so he says, what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? There he's envisaging the possibility that a Christian does something he shouldn't have done. And whether it be the authorities or whether it be individuals, they buffet the individual or whether it be the just sort of chastening of the Lord, there be a buffeting for it. And he says, if you take that patiently, well, so what? You deserved it. You're patient, you're stoic. Endurance under such circumstances is no more to be applauded than the thief upon the cross dealing with the vilification which was his because what he had done was cruel and wicked and justly took him to the place he was at. And he could see that for himself and pointed it out to the other one who was in the same condemnation. So if we do something that's wrong, if we're Christians and we do things that are wrong and we get told off for it and we get vilified for it, well, that's our fault. Don't go blaming that on the Holy Spirit and don't go blaming that on other people. If you do what's wrong and you get told off for it, that serves you and I right if we do that. If ye do evil and you're buffeted for it, he says, you take it patiently, well, where's the... Where's the glory in that? Where's the benefit in that? But he says, But if when ye do good, when you do that which is right, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. He says, God's fine with that. The ones who do what they do to you, he's not fine with them doing that. They one day will have to pay for that. It's a day of judgment coming, but he's glad, fine with the way in which you and I, if we resort, if we deal with such things in a good way. He says, that's fine. But he goes further. And he says, for even 
here unto where ye called. That was what you were called to as a believer. That was your role and my role as a Christian. To be misused and abused as our Saviour was. And to follow in his footsteps and to respond in a way that brings glory to God and shows grace to those who observe. Because you see, to be persecuted for righteousness' sake is not a pleasant thing, but it is a very clear mark of grace. Along with that, not only reviled, but often accused falsely. As we've seen there in First Peter chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, I beg your pardon, uh, and uh, verse 20. If you do what you uh, shouldn't have done and you get dealt with for it, that's no great thing. But if there's no truth in it, if you do that which is good, that which is right, and you're dealt with in that way and you still deal graciously. That is honoured by God. God approves of that. Now, persecution, as I say, is the thing that occurs to those who are Christians. As one writer said, let a man really dare to be a New Testament Christian and to take Christ seriously beginning next Monday morning, better still, start it this Thursday evening. And you can be sure of this, that he will wake up to the fact that he is a sheep among wolves. Because others will respond in that wolf-like manner. You see, as a child of God, you will be subject to reviling and accusation. But do not respond in an evil way. We are to follow in the footsteps of Christ, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You remember in Luke chapter 23, I don't know where our brother is going to take you on the Sabbath morning, but in Luke chapter 23, one of the things we see is that Christ, he committed himself to God, the Father, who judges righteously. For all the wicked judges, for all the false accusations, for all the things that were said and all the injustices poured upon him, he left everything in the hands of his father. Jesus cried with a loud voice and said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said that, he gave up the ghost. He he trusted everything into the hands of the father. We were looking Sabbath morning just past at the way in which Christ on the cross prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
That was the response of our Saviour to the most egregious and immoral and unjust wickedness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When people sin against you and I, then that same spirit should be in our hearts and that same prayer upon our lips as it was with Stephen, the first Christian martyr, when he prayed that the Lord would lay not that sin to their charge. You see, he understood that as a Christian, as a believer, he would be subject to that animosity of the wicked. And still he prayed for them. And so should you and I. Along with that, we know that it is the very righteousness of those things that a godly person does which causes them to be rejected of the world. It is the very fact that you do that which is right and good and proper that causes those who are wicked to mark you out for their opposition. From the very beginning it was always so. Why did Cain hate his brother? Why did he lift up, as it were, his hand in anger against his brother? Because his brother's deeds were righteous and his were evil. It wasn't because Abel had been bad to him or had been bad-mouthing him. It was because Abel had done what was pleasing to God. And when the wicked raise their hand against you, or their voice, or whatever power they are able to wield, it will often be provoked, as they see it, by the righteous life or views of those who love the Lord. You see... There's a logic to the way in which this persecution comes. The world doesn't understand and doesn't like not understanding what it's seeing in your life. In the Beatitudes, the first one, poverty of spirit, is the very opposite to what the world admires. The world admires the self-sufficient, not the poor in spirit likes a self-made, confident individual. They don't like a repentant heart that sorrows over sins which the world loves and wants more of. The gentle and meek is seen as gullible and weak in the eyes of a vicious world. And so you could go on with regards to all of those Beatitudes. All of them set themselves against the standards and the ways of the world. And your life, if you're a Christian, is marked by these things. And therefore, the implication of that is that your life, which is a standing rebuke to ungodliness, will become the target of the ungodly for their vilification, 
for their hatred. First of all, because you represent Jesus. Because when you walk around and you make it clear that your life is lived not in the power of your own strength or godliness, but in the power of one who loved you and gave himself for you. When you give all the praise to Jesus, that's a standing rebuke to the selfishness and the self-importance of the world. Because those of us who follow him are saying that I have no hope in myself, but only in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. And the world hates that. The world rejects that. The world has tried to avoid that and has run from that as much as lies in them. Therefore they resent it when you represent Christ to them. Oh my friend, don't imagine that just because you're telling people the best news that the world could ever hear, that the world will thank you for it. You ever noticed when you try to share the gospel that you will be made to feel like some sort of freak, like some sort of unusual, nasty individual, not really worthy of good company. How dare you bring such thoughts into good company? Well, I imagine the company of our recently departed queen was very good company. And she didn't mind having the name of Jesus Christ associated with her. And before she passed away, was calling for the minister to come and visit several times. If it's good enough company for her, it should be good enough company for any. But you see, the world doesn't like to be reminded of Jesus. And therefore, when you represent him to them, they will take umbrage at that. If we, as we seek to reflect something of the mercy and the faithfulness and the holiness of Jesus, as we do that, the more we do it, the more the sparkle of the glints of the glory of Christ will actually sting the eyes of the wicked. Have you ever noticed that when you've been in the dark, if, if you're married here, and I don't know which one of you is the early riser, if they get up and fling open the curtains with a joyful, oh, what a beautiful morning, and you're the slow one for getting up, and the sunbeams rush into the room without any invitation from you. Your eyes scream out, oh, the light. Close them now. Close the curtains now. That's how the ungodly feel. When the light of Christ that reflects on your life strikes into their otherwise darkened life and they are surprised, hurt, offended, that you so 
unexpectedly brought that light dazzling into their life. Don't be surprised if when you show forth in your better days and in your better ways and in your better situations more of Christ that that's the time that you are most likely to be subject to someone being offended at you. In actual fact the Bible tells us woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Now, for some of us, that's not a great big fear. It's very unlikely to ever happen. But we all want to be well spoken of. And when we are dealt with in this way, when we are reviled and persecuted and have all manner of evil said against us falsely for the sake of Jesus, it sometimes is hard to rejoice and be exceeding glad. But I want to encourage you tonight, if you're a believer, and you have found that the mark of grace that has been perhaps showing itself more readily and more frequently in your experience recently has been this one of being vilified and dealt with severely by those who don't love the Lord. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. It is not a bad thing, it is a wonderful thing. When your walk so closely mimics the walk of your Saviour and the prophets and those faithful believers of previous generations, that they respond to you in the way they responded to them. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Jesus said, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. But don't just re- you don't just rejoice at the fact of the persecution. That's not what he's saying. We're not to be some sort of uh, unusual individuals who actually take pleasure in being disliked. It's because our view is beyond the here and now. We do as our Saviour did, who when he was dealt with in that way, you remember in the uh, wonderful uh, epistle to the Hebrews, there right after the great, I suppose in many ways, the great passage on marks of grace there in Hebrews chapter 11. In the following chapter we're told there that we're to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind, and so on. 
But you see, he looked to what was yet to come. He saw the salvation of you and me and generations of Christians. And he accounted what he was going through, worthy of going through, for your redemption and mine. And my friend, when you go through such vilification, when you go through such times of mockery and reviling, rejoice and be exceeding glad. First of all, because you're being a faithful witness to Christ. But secondly, because there is a reward for those who love him. And you will not lack that reward. He will not forget what was suffered on his behalf. Those who are poor in spirit, as is mentioned in the uh, earlier beatitude will one day rejoice in heaven walking upon streets of gold putting under their feet the very highest thing this world affords why? because they will be with Christ which is far better and my friend if you're perhaps a a believer in Christ, but you've never yet had the courage to come out on the Lord's side, perhaps because of the fear of the things that will be said to you, the way you'll be dealt with. Put your fears aside. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. It's not the happiest mark of grace to mention, but it is in some ways the most consistently observed mark of grace, because in this world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Our Saviour has overcome the world. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank thee for sending thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from the realms of glory into this sin-cursed world. This place, O Lord, so filled with iniquity, and with that which is evil. And yet he came to suffer and to die in our place. Help us therefore, O Lord, to be willing to suffer those reproaches which he once bore on our behalf, willingly and joyfully for him in our day. If it be a cause for mockery to be called a Christian in our land, may we accept that scorning joyfully. If it be a cause for humiliation 
and follow the one who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. May we joyfully take up our cross and follow him. And we pray for those who are thy people and who have allowed the fear of what the world would say or do to keep them from professing his name and from proclaiming their love for him. We ask that they, whether young or old, rich or poor, would trust in the Saviour and believe in their heart and confess with their lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. So hear us, we pray, and pardon our sins. May all the glory be thine, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing in conclusion from Psalm number 89. Psalm 89. We're going to take our singing from the closing portion of the psalm, commencing to sing at verse 47. And singing through to the end of the psalm, which is verse 52. Remember, Lord, how short a time I shall on earth remain. Wherefore is it so that thou hast made all men in vain? What man is he that liveth here and death shall never see? From the power of the grave, what man shall, uh, or what man shall his soul, uh, his soul shall free? Thy love, thy former loving kindnesses, O Lord, where be they now? Those which in truth and faithfulness to David sworn hast thou. Mind, Lord, thy servant's sad reproach, how in how I in bosom bear the scornings of the people all, who strong and mighty are, wherewith thy raging enemies reproached, O Lord, think on, wherewith they have reproached the steps of thine anointed one. All blessing to the Lord our God. Let be ascribed then for every one. So let it be. Amen. Yea. And amen. Psalm 89, the closing portion to God's praise. Remember, Lord, how short a time I shall.
intimations, the remaining services for this communion season will be taken by the Reverend Thomas Buchanan. I wish to publicly express my thankfulness to him because initially when I had been doing my duties as your interim moderator seeking to get a minister for each weekend, I had booked him just thinking it was another weekend. And then, of course, I was going through and I realised what I'd done. And he was so kind and so willing to take on all that was required with regards to the weekend. I really do express my deep thankfulness and gratitude to Mr Buchanan for his kindness and consideration, as I do to Mr Woods for his willingness to help yesterday. And I'm sure you will have appreciated the ministry of God's servant. Though retired as far as the pastoral ministry is concerned, still very busy as far as the preaching ministry is concerned. And we pray the Lord's blessing upon him also. Anyone who is a communicant member in another congregation of the Free Church Continuing or another denomination and wishes to join this congregation as a communicant member, please submit a disjunction certificate to the Kirk Session. Those wishing to come forward by profession of faith or who don't have a disjunction certificate or are visiting will be given opportunity to meet with the Kirk session which is now open and although I won't be here during that time Mr Buchanan will be able to chair in my place uh, and be associated with the uh, session during that remainder of the communion season. The notice with regards to the congregational meeting, which will be with regards to the current vacancy, God willing, next week on the Thursday, that will be a week yesterday, so your usual prayer meeting time, I will be with you at 7.30 and we will have a congregational meeting uh, with regards to these matters. These are all the intimations, all subject to the will of our God. Let us close with a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest upon and remain with you and all who love our Lord Jesus sincerely and in truth. Amen. Amen. Amen.